listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave at home with the kids, and it could get especially rowdy today. Neighbor kid is coming over. Uh, so um, anyway, we'll see how it goes. Anyway, and with me is Chris. What do they do together? Do they play blocks, or are they too old for that? TV, iPads? Too old. They just run around and yell Zelda things, I think, is sort of how that works Oh, now. I'm so. looking forward to that phase. Yeah. 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 You just kind of run around and yell. So that's that's a fun yeah. and they fun game they for need that sometimes, but not all the time, right? No, no. The the irony is, uh, and these Corona times sure have changed it. But the irony is, having kids over is the best thing because your kid is now entertained without your assistance. You know, you may need to provide. Yeah. You're on snack duty, kind of at that point. So it's kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure nobody breaks their leg duty or whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah. But the dishes can be done or whatever. Yeah, that's cool. Um, that's good. Okay. So we're going to answer some questions from some people. We have some came in grad. Thanks always for sending in your questions. Then we're going to have a special segment this week where we're going to hear from Matt Marquis, who, um, wrote a book called JavaScript for web designers. It's not, it's not particularly new. Oh, look at this. I'm looking at on the, a book apart website right now. If you buy it, there's a special deal. If you buy it with my book. Oh, nice pairing hey, there, hey. team. Whoa, Love that. Always be closing. Let's do it. I su- suspect a lot of people uh, know JavaScript, at least a little, who listen to this show. But I think you'll appreciate Matt's intro to this book. So we picked us a, a piece of it that's kind of towards the beginning, where I think Matt's just such a great writer. He's so funny and word stuff so weird. You know, he's like a. <laughs> I wish he blogged more often because I think he's just got a got a way with words. But we'll hear from him in the middle of the show, and then we'll. We'll talk about some some more stuff. So, anyway, let's 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 kick the start of the show. Do you have anything that's like on your mind, like well, super strong? This we week? do have a slight correction we need to issue, uh, or Oof. or this is maybe an addition and an, an addendum, first ever addendum on the Shop Talk Show. Uh, remember, we were talking about a couple episodes ago. We were talking about threading and and you know async code and stuff like that. Well, like as we finish recording or whatever. Then the blogs, the the hacker newses got very into this thing called GPU JS. Did you see that? It's it's basically running JavaScript on the GPU, which is very fast and can do math very quickly. Um, I'm aware that having a good GPU is good for video games. That's number one fact I know. The number two fact is that in CSS, sometimes the goal is to get things to render on the GPU. So if you use something like a... I remember we used to use like a 3D transform to like trick mm-hmm. trick elements to then be rendered on the GPU. But what I don't know any deeper than that. Like that's all I got. But apparently it's a chip that's in your computer that's I don't know that it why is it better at doing JavaScript than your CPU is? You know, I I don't know the technical reasons, but uh, you know, um it, it, historically, you know, the reason it's good for GPU and or sorry, graphics and video games was because, you know, it, it just says, okay, tell me, describe the space to me. Okay, here are the vertices or whatever. I know how to do all the math for vertices and, you know, everything. And so I'm just going to do it. And and so it was very good at, like, calculation. And as a result, like, cryptographers and people like that and machine learning have picked mm-hmm. it up too because of its ability to do, like, math Whereas like a CPUs may be optimized for like, uh, I, I don't even know, like operations. I wish I had a really good explanation here, but it, it's more like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't have a good something. thing. But it's like, basically like there's certain tasks like a GPU really excels at. And that can be like math or big heavy computation. Um, whereas maybe a CPU okay. is optimized for other stuff. Yeah. I could see that operations per second or whatever, although I'm sure the GPU is also fast at that. So it's, it is hard to talk about a little bit, but what we were talking about in the last show is threads, right? Like ask, like you can't use the single thread in JavaScript to do that. Cause you'll just lock up the browser and that's no good. So you got to do some stuff async. And, and I remember we talked about the idea as much as possible off thread is ideal. It's just a little hard to know what and when to do that. Yeah, and I think we kind of came up with like anytime you do async code might be a place where you could spin off a worker that then like yep. 
gen runs code and in gpu js over at gpu.rocks is sort of somewhat similar but if you think about like you have a four core cpu or maybe if you have a fancy computer an eight core cpu you have eight potential threads that you can run probably more but like but but basically eight cpu cores you can do math on but if you do like a gpu well now you have access to a whole other chip that can do math on. And so you can get like very fast. Mm -hmm. Um, You now have a whole other, you're not even on the main chip. You're on the, the like other chip on inside your computer that can do math. And, you know, I I think my, (laughs) my GPU has like 3000 CUDA cores or something like that. So like I have 3000 cores or something on that GPU. So like, Mm. if you think about it in those terms, it's different, right? So like, like I can do a lot of threads over here, a lot of math over on that GPU. Um, so, it's, but you still, it's like GPU.rocks is the, um, I don't know, the URL for this. It's probably something that you could do anyway, but it's a library that abstracts it away so that you just, you know, const GPU equals new GPU. And now you have this thing to talk to that has, you know, an API for, for, for running stuff over there you still need to know what you're doing. This isn't going to allow you to do anything in, out of the box without, you know, you don't, you're not benefit without knowing what you're doing over here. And I would have no idea what to use it for, but I'm sure there's people that have a very strong idea of what to use it for. The website itself has this like jellyfish at the top that's doing something that very much looks like it's going to slow down my browser. It looks like a GIF rendering or a movie, but it's, uh, you know, it doesn't do anything. It's, it hardly affects the memory usage at all on the page. I, th- I do think of your, I know you've brought this up many times, is the Paravel.com page yeah. where you're doing some, that's not Paravel.com, that's the, Paravel, the medieval yeah. castle. Paravel.com is somebody who does not want to sell their domain. Um, Paravelinc.com is my website. Um, but yeah, like we have the big kind of background image that we're kind of cycling colors. And yeah, like they're looking like they're doing. Are you already doing it as a worker? In a worker, yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I've optimized it a little bit. I could probably get better because, I, again, I don't particularly understand, like, array buffers and stuff like that, you know. So that's all, like, I could probably make it better doing that. But, you know, this, like, GPU.js, I don't know what they're doing here exactly, but they are, like, glitching out this image pretty big. Oh, they're just replacing different PNGs and GIFs. So I don't think that's actually <laughs> math they're doing. They're just, like swapping image sources. Well, what's funny to me is then it's still, oh, and some of them are GIFs. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So just, I don't know if that's, if GPU is doing anything at all there. That's interesting. But, hmm. Because you think at the DOM manipulation level, you're back on the JavaScript main thread then. Like, this isn't helping that. It's just the stuff that has to, that you do before you would hit the DOM. It would be for more like intense calculations or something like that. I mean, one common thing that people do is Bitcoin mining through the GPU. So if you are going to create a client-side Bitcoin miner, this would be the tool to do it. Uh, <laughs> not that we really uh, uh, condone that, but... Um, you know, I have a hot... Here's a... here's a, In my little text game, text game update, there's a, um, a highlighting. So there's just constantly text just streaming into this field. Imagine you're, you know, mm-hmm. almost like the Matrix view or something, but it's like bottom up. Like if you're on a Slack channel with 10,000 people and everybody was talking and it's just, whoa, it's just flying up from the bottom. But it's syntax highlighted too. It's not just like, whoa. you know what I mean? So like you need like certain words are there and there's a function to be like, I want to highlight this word whenever it comes up because let's say you make a friend in the game and you want to highlight them and special friend pink Mm-hmm. Then you can add that as a storage thing, and then that's going to. So there's a highlighter, and the highlighter has work to do to do it. I wonder if that's the kind of thing where you could be like, okay, I got the text from the game. I'm just going to render it, but then off thread, I'm going to run the highlighter over it because that might take a minute because it could be a big chunk of thing. It's got a regex over it. Then when it's done, I'll DOM replace it. Like in the feed, so that then it's highlighted. So it's kind of like async highlighting. I wonder if that would be a use case. I think that would be a great place. And, you know, you kind of just send it a brick of text and say, come back with a highlighted brick of text or something, or like, you know, stuff yeah. like that. So, um, or just tell me yes or no if the, this thing exists in there, you know, like 
maybe that's all you're trying to do there. So yeah, you know, actually that would be interesting too. I, you know, I, I, but I, it'd be a little weird to have like flash of unhighlighted text in a way. Like it's kind of nice, you, but you wouldn't want to slow it down either. Like this, you know, like all games, it's very time sensitive. So rendering as absolutely fast as possible after you get that piece of text is paramount, you know? Yeah. But maybe you have to do a pre like pre render operation sort of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You might have to. Well, Anyway, it's just kind of interesting to think about. It's not every day that you're going to have this type of stuff. And my dream, of course, is that this technology improves and then libraries start taking advantage of it in a way that we don't have to think about. That's what I I, I hope that it just becomes kind of, and, and not to, I've said this a billion times and I'm going to just, anyway, put a dollar in the jar. The, like the rails for JavaScript or whatever that I mythically want, you know, like, it would be great mm-hmm. if one like just kind of had the async code built in, you know, it's like, hey, oh, like you're going to go fetch stuff. We'll do all that async or something or or even off thread or something like that. You know, that would be awesome. I think Redwood has like pretty good potential here, to be honest, with just how they've broken up the component lifecycle into those cells, I think is what they call them. But they have it like they have uh, loading uh, success, error, they have those different cells, like those could all kind of behave intelligently, you know, so because uh, it sort of assumes the data is coming from somewhere. And this is all that's related to, you know, React has suspense now or whatever. Yeah, and that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's related to, it's like you'd think anything suspense related could make use of off-thread stuff. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by WordPress.com. You might know WordPress.com is like the hosted version of WordPress, so you need nothing at all. You want to spin up a site, you go to WordPress.com, you spin up a site, It could and it could be for anything. It could be an e-commerce site, could be a like a landing page site for your business, could be a portfolio site, could be a photography-based site, could be a blog, of course. I love all those ideas. Please have a site for the things that you do, including a personal website and those for your businesses. That would make me happy. And it'll be a site that you don't have to worry about because it's totally handled by them, right? There's no there's no performance concerns or like getting hacked concerns or all that. So I really like it when people choose WordPress.com for, for sites with like, like zero technical debt. You know, like let them handle the stuff. But this is something that I don't think a lot of people know. It's a relatively new thing is that you can have and you got to be on like the business or e-commerce plan to have this. You can have SFTP access to the site, and you have database access as well. So it's really similar to any other host, right? You sign up for a hosting plan, and they're like, "Here's your welcome email with your SFTP credentials. This is how you SFTP in, and you know, put the files here, and that's how you operate a website." You know, and a lot of us these days, I know, this is how I do it. Have some kind of deployment system set up that has access to those SFTP credentials, so that I'm. Working locally, I'm working in Git, I'm committing to branches and all that. And the deployment software is like, oh, somebody pushed something to master. I'm going to go ahead and deploy that to the live site. Um, that's how I do things. I think that's a nice kind of DevOps setup that even somebody like me can do without like extreme DevOps knowledge. There's no reason those SFTP credentials couldn't be to your WordPress.com plans. So you're just using it like a WordPress host, which I think is really neat you know it's like you can still have this modern developer workflow be working locally on your wordpress site and and then and then shipping it up to wordpress.com you can have your own plugins your own theme you can mess with the functions.php file you know just like it's still just your totally custom wordpress site it's just hosted on wordpress.com it's kind of a mind shift because i don't think don't think people think of wordpress.com in that way and that's because it's new and you can do it now so try it out I am just talking out of my depth here. Uh, maybe we should cycle onto something where I actually know what I'm talking about a little bit, uh, but not too much because that's, that's limited. I was starting to like collect links of, because I feel like every time I, I see one of these type of apps get linked up, people are like, oh my God, this is so cool. I've never heard of anything like this. And then I see a different one and I see the same type of sentiment. It turns out there's this like a little like sub market around these types of browsers that are like, purpose-built for developers. Um, so it's not just Chrome and Firefox or Safari or whatever. It's like Blisk or Sizzy 
okay. or whatever. And the idea is mostly responsive design. Mm-hmm. One of them is, yeah, yeah, Sizzy's the... Oh. I'm, I'm like trying to evaluate them right now. The point is you get this really big browser, and then instead of just showing one thing, it shows you... Uh, you know, up what do they call it? a device wall kind of? Yeah, but it's a live device wall, and it's within one browser. So as you're developing, you could have you know your mobile app open and your desktop open, and it's it's just like you know and just work away like you normally do. It's just you're looking at both you know quote unquote versions of your site at the same time. Kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, it's a clever idea, but then somebody took that idea. And these apps are like that on steroids because they do, you know, they're like, well, if this, I know who's using this browser. It's designers and developers are using it to, you know, to do their day-to-day work. Why not put like a dark mode toggle right in the UI? So you click it, now you're in dark mode, you unclick it. So you don't have to go over to system preferences or whatever you do on Windows to like find the toggle and change it. It's just right into the app. Or what if I want to turn JavaScript off? Hey, there's a button. You click it. Now JavaScript is off and the pages reload without JavaScript. There's all these little features built into these apps and they all have different features. Uh, but it's 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 kind of clever. And now that I'm actually looking at them, I'm like, hmm. I'm like, I wonder if I like my day-to-day work would actually benefit from actually using one of these. Because to be honest, I, d- I don't. Do you? Have you heard or seen well, this? Well, you know, uh, uh, so Electric Pulp, uh, a very talented agency, like they did like the Stephen Colbert yeah. websites and stuff. But um, they had this thing called Duo a long time ago. It used to be on the Mac App Store, but I don't think it is there anymore. Uh, and I I liked it. And I've actually I built something similar called Double Wide that would give you like a mobile call <laughs> and a desktop call. Yeah. Uh, and and it was just a plug-in with some iframes and so it kind of and it would try to scroll match but then it would bomb out but um but yeah these tools are cool especially like if that's the piece you struggle with does that make sense like if like understanding the re- or visualizing the responsive flow is hard i think it's you need something or you know i, I think too in teams if you like redesign the homepage or like you know, it'd be great to demo this with that app. So you could just be like, hey, here's, you know, here is the thing on 12 different devices or different screen sizes. Like, let's poke holes in, in what's wrong or something like that. I think that would be a great, you know, use of the uh, the thing um, or, or like a tool like this, a browser like this. So, um, I kind of like the the your idea and the duo idea. And there was one more I looked at that encouraged that, like, just look at the two. They're really small, the small and the big. Right. A lot of the rest of these focus on, like, showing you eight at once. And Mm -hmm. you're like, "Mm, maybe, you know, I I could see that mattering sometimes, but probably for most of us, it's it's the two or three. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not eight. Well, and and, Mm. yeah, ideally, I I think you need the two or three. I've for a long time, you know, the, the code editor space is so precious, but I've wanted like the mobile view in my code editor. I think you can do that with VS code and edge. Now I think there's some interface to make that happen, but um, like where you get a browser window in your code. So I don't know. Cause that could be kind of cool. Like you're building it out and it's building automatically in your browser, like, or in your editor, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, like there's gotta be something. Hasn't nobody done it yet for VS code? Yeah. Well, I have an editor in there. I bet they have. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's edge is like, there's an edge browser for uh code, which, you know, I, I, I have it. I think I just don't use it, but I ideally, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I still, I just old habit, like alt tab, you know, and go, to the stupid, <laughs> go to yeah, the browser. Yeah, it's funny. Like, what what would you gain out of it being in there? Is there any tight integration that would matter? Uh, debugger straight in. So, uh, dev tools or whatever, like straight in. So, if like your code's barfing, it'll barf in the error console in code. If that makes sense. So, there is a benefit. Oh, be- oh, because there's a because of source maps or whatever. Can it like so if there's an error in the browser it could like open up the file what the error is in and show you that line that yeah, it could maybe pretty... reference like what where it actually fell apart so that's kind of cool that like, is actually really cool because you know at first i, was, I did, wasn't even using the terminal in vs code really because i was so ingrained in the other terminal i use and then slowly but surely 
I think it kind of pulls you into using the terminal in it. Because just, even just little things, like you open a project and hit control backspace, the context of that console is the folder that you're in. Mm-hmm. And if you need it in a subfolder, you can right-click on that subfolder and go, open new terminal, and it'll open in that folder context. It's like, whoa, that's nice. Yeah. So the <laughs> yeah. So the, I, I almost use the console and VS Code more than a separate console. Yeah. Uh, no, but I I'm mean, not totally converted over yet. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I kind of still foot in both worlds, but I use the the code console quite a bit. What I'm not, what I don't do is like the launch, like the dupe. You know how you can like set VS Code to launch the code, like with it's F5 on Windows. Not sure what it is on uh, Mac. Oh or, yeah, I I got it set up. Uh, uh, I in mine it's a it's a dot code workspace file, uh-huh. and then in that then has like stuff in it. How does this work? I'm trying to remember. The idea is that you can tell it though to launch some commands when the code workspace is open up. So for example, if you're it's an 11D project and you have npm run start as your script, if you open that project, it'll just open a terminal and run it. Because it's like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to work on this project. You might as well spin it up as soon as it's open. You know, And you can type debugger in your node thing and it gives you like a step-in debugger for node apps. So if you're like, 12 levels deep on a for loop you you don't have to just console log out stuff in a terminal that then disappears you, you can just like stop the debugger in there and you get dev tools and stuff and so it's pretty cool but i don't really use it that much but yeah it's called tasks.json is the thing if you wanted to okay. to run your tasks here, and it'll, so it'll infer your tasks too it can like read your npm scripts too it's weird so Anyway. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in my in my case, I have a, a task and I have a label of run gulp. I use gulp to to spin up CSS tricks, for example, because uh, it, I don't know, I just do. And so it, uh, and I've, I'm just fixing it right now because I've had one little problem with it where, where I spin it up and then the terminal opens and runs the command, but then it says, this is not supported by this version of Node. Something happened to my Node where it's like always on the wrong freaking version of Node. It sounds right. And I, so I, <laughs> so I've NVM, you know, to, because that's obvious. And then you have, and then in, I think this is just a good practice in, in, projects anyway in your package.json and or in a dot nvmrc or whatever file you can say what version of node you want so you can just type nvm use and it will automatically go to that version of node yeah it'll remember so then it. my command can just be nvm use and and gulp so okay. when i open the project it just it gets on the right version right from the get-go what do you think of that hmm? that's smart <laughs> hey solve solve the problem upstream you know Using the least possible effort, I am into that. Uh, so, so you, you've, so you, you do not day to day. You just use Chrome or uh, Edge for you, right? I just use Edge. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, when Edge went Chromium, I'd considered, you know, like going to Firefox or whatever, just kind of to support the open web and whatnot. Uh, my coworker Trent did. Um, a guy I work with, Joel, went over to Firefox, but uh, and I think he uses Safari too, but. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I just like, I, I like some of the features of edge, like it's read aloud feature. Um, I kind of have bookmarking synced and then they have this new, uh, profile feature where it'll detect like, oh, you're, you, this, you're going to a Microsoft SharePoint. Do you want to use your Microsoft ID or something like that? You know? And it's like, oh yeah, that's what I want to use. Or so it kind of intelligently detects what email profile or like browser profile you're trying to use. And when I was like on three different clients with three different active directory things that I was like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> Cause I was like losing my S H I T logging in and logging out of everything all the time. So anyway, yeah, now I'm good. I school. Sp- cool. I spelled my curse words. So it doesn't count against me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, there's some good features of edge. I, it, it's still like the most well-designed browser to me, but that's being really snooty. But you know, hey, um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a, it's a it's a weird world. I mean, we should at least acknowledge the fact that 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 Mozilla had terrible layoffs, twenty-five percent of their workforce, which is about a hundred people. So that's interesting that Mozilla is only four hundred people, 
it was, you know, I, there's there's speculation being flown around. You know, a lot of the, the speculation was, hey, they they got a big uh, contract with Google coming up. This contract represents ninety percent of Mozilla's budget. So that fact alone, M- Mozilla and Firefox only exist on the, you know, charity not that they couldn't scramble really quick, but that yes, it's charity. I mean, it's mm. well, it's anti, like, <laughs> it's anti. Uh, uh, Trust protection insurance. You know what I mean? Like it's anti-trust lawsuit protection. Service, yeah, right. Or like it, it looks like you're a little bit more like if Google doesn't have any competition, that that's that's not the law doesn't love that. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's going to end up like Microsoft and IE. I mean, it's not going to end well for them. I, don't I mean, I'm sure they see other advantages. I'm sure there's tons of nuance to this deal. You know, sure. I don't have all the facts here. I'm not a journalist. I haven't talked to lawyers or whatever. But still, that's wild. There, you know, there's an actual article quoting it's some 400 to 450 million dollars a year. So that's a lot of money, and you can definitely pay a hundred plays with 450 million dollars a year. Oh I my God. So. That's not even in the ballpark here. So there was another, and then right after they fired all the people, the contract renewed. So right. it wasn't the contract. That was a, you know, it was something else. But they they got rid of DevTools people, MDN people, and anybody who works in the platform. They got rid of David Barron, who everybody regards as this, like he's a principal developer of Firefox. He knows everything about CSS and browser internals and our. Yeah. Or sorry, Netscape, not Netflix. He's been yeah. there since Netscape. I mean, it's it's so. Who, it's, what kind of company is like? Oh, this guy is just an absolute knowledge treasure who's actively participating, has ideas for how to solve container queries that he needs to get out to the world. Now nah, we'll let him go. What? Yeah. So, oh, and then you're stopping developing on Dev Tools, which is the one thing that developers kind of preferred in Firefox, is they had some pretty interesting tools that people like. So dead, that will never be worked on again. To me, you know, like without getting too deep into any weird conspiracy theories here, it's dead. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's it, dead. I you can't you can't wholesale your team and just be like, well, we're gonna just we'll just hire new people to work on it when we're ready. You know, like you you just. You, you can't just, restaff. No way. Yeah, you you like basically nuclear optioned your knowledge repository. You know, like the working knowledge of the system, and so it's it, that's bad for that. You know, I'm sad about the web VR, the WebXR team. I think got cut, and they were doing the coolest stuff. Like that, really genuinely. Like I, I know, and that's maybe speaks more of VR actually. The like like flop potential of VR, but like the. There was they were doing cool stuff. They were coming up with cool ideas and interfaces. And A frame is excellent. You know, it's a declarative VR framework. Like what? Like you write HTML and create VR. It's ridiculous, and it's gone. So, or it's not gone. I guess. All, but like those people are are now looking for work, and I just I don't know what they're doing. I don't. You know, when somebody like it, it has to be they're moving to Chromium. I I don't know because like. The that's what I would guess too. Because like, like how do you, you just cut a whole giant piece, a whole like heart, like the community stuff, <laughs> like the the I guess goodwill building portions of your company out, and then your blog post is like we're going to focus more on the community. You know, like I, I just I don't see it because I'm just kind of curious. You got rid of the parts I like. So what what what's left? The VPN? I guess I like the VPN. And if you and if you tell me like we are the privacy focused browser, we care about you know, and then some new web technology comes around that needs a look at privacy, who's gonna work on it? Well, not browser people, because you don't have any of those anymore. So like I don't trust you anymore to be the privacy focused browser because you don't have anybody to work on those things. Yeah. You got rid of all the people. So what? I don't know. I, I yeah. I, I can't see. Uh, uh, I I read the blog post, but I did not understand the plan. Does that make sense? I, I it was like we're gonna be better, yeah, and right. it's like I just I don't understand the plan here. I'm, and I get times are tough, and and I don't wish. And you know, running a thousand person company or whatever is a lot or whatever. But like, I just don't understand how you can. I don't understand how the browser goes forward with the initial wholesaling like 
a huge part, a huge core of the team like that. So, yeah, yeah. well, show us, you know, what are you going to do? You know, mm-hmm. let's see. Can I, is it going to be interesting to me or am I not the target audience? Like you've already lost me, maybe, which is fair. So maybe they just don't care, you know? Right. Maybe they're just following the money. I don't know. Like they're like, oh, we got to build this VPN product because it's the only thing that actually makes money, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that could be that. That could be it. I don't think that the VPN there's enough of a market there to 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 replace that kind of budget, you know. And and, and the other thing, you know, if you're this privacy focused browser, you have to part of the part of the job is to like laugh and snicker at Google a little bit, be like, oh, Big Brother, their ad tech is so gross. So like that's like part of the narrative. Like you have to say that, otherwise nobody's gonna care about. You know, that's right. that's why you exist is to be the anti Google. Yet ninety percent of your budget is Google. Like, you, so you what do you slap their wrist a little bit in a blog post and be like, oh, "Sorry, Daddy, uh, I didn't mean it." You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know how you enforce the person who pays your bills or pays your rent. So you're you're kind of can't bite. If the I hand sound salty, I am a little bit. It just seems like in this, but the thing is, this has been true for a long time. Like this happened to be the big the big kind of moment thing, but the fact that their budget has been removed, that's just the way it is at, at Mozilla, you know? It's just now you, the, the tech is gone. So I think they know what they're doing. You don't fire all these people with fundamental knowledge about how your browser works if you don't, if they're valid, if it if it seems like they're not, you're not going to have that technology for very much longer. Right. You don't need David Barron if your entire stack becomes Chromium. Yeah, you don't need a DevTools team if you're hiring Paul Irish by proxy. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you, like you don't you don't need it because you already have a dev tools team at Microsoft and at Google. So I, I just I hope that's not it. But I I if I were to whatever be a betting man, I, I think it would be I'll bet all my XRP ripple coin on <laughs> the fact that they'll switch to Chromium. But I don't know. And they still own MDN. It's just the people that, because a lot of talk has been about MDN too. Well, like save MDN. Oh no, it's going to be, it's going to die. And they're saying it's not going to die. We still have it. There's still at least a one or t- some people on the team. I think it was mostly gutted, but I think the, yeah. the original dude um, is is there. And then like, I, and then some people are like, well, it's a wiki, so it's fine. There's a lot of pushback about that. Like, no, it won't be fine. You know, <laughs> like that's not, no, that's you, not how those things you, work. Yeah. Wikis only work because they have editors and they have people who care and they have people who work on it and groom it. And at the rate of web stuff, like you need people who care, like you need people who are involved, invested financially, monetarily. Like you can't just have any rando writing JavaScript articles on MDN because they'll They'll, they'll just link to their own repository on GitHub. I mean, that's how it's, you know, like, that's what I would do. Oh, we're talking about clamp and CSS? Link it to fixed text. That's what I do. I'm always be closing Dave Rupert. That's marketing for me. Well, I think Rachel Andrew had a good point about that. Like, anybody can write an article about some brand new thing that they're super excited about right now. But like things like that need a bunch of very boring writing too. They need you to, they need writers who are willing to dig in very comprehensively to a technology that isn't necessarily like all up in their brains right now anyway. They're like a technical writer of a different ilk, you know? It needs a paid team. Somebody, sh- you know, but it's not really for sale. Like we can't, we can speculate about where it's going to go, where it should go, what we can do. It's not up to us. That stuff is not on the table. They're not soliciting ideas for where MDN should go and how it should be handled. Not, not happening. But I, that's, yeah, it's such a weird move. I, I don't, and that's the thing I don't, I don't get the moves, man. I don't, it says, oh, we're all about, we're focusing on community, you know, it's like MDN. That's where everyone gets their information. What do you mean? Like, that's the community. What do you, that's probably your biggest goodwill builder. I don't know. How do you just let that go? But anyway, there's a lot of talented people looking for work and we do wish them the best. I'm, I'm pretty gutted by that. Mozilla themselves made this lifeboat website or whatever to help them get hired. It just feels so strange to me. Yeah. I'll, I don't know. This is salty again. Salty Dave Rupert here. 
my company makes a web, <laughs> lets me go and then makes a website for me. I just, I don't want it. Just y'all did enough. Like, I, don't talk to me. I'm done. But, but I guess it does help people who, you know, it's such a big organization. You probably, a lot of contributors probably aren't recognized. You know what I mean? So it, it's, and they want them to land on their feet. So that maybe is a good thing. But I just, an employer just was like, goodbye. I would just be mad. I have raised my hand, by the way, everybody should be aware. I'm willing to willing to take on MDN personally. Perfect. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll call it Shop Talk DN. Yeah. And uh, MDN.shopdocshow.com. I'm willing to put, give you one subdomain. Shoptalkdocs.com. <laughs> and shoptalkdocs.com is where you get all your latest function news, uh, APIs. All of it happening over at shoptalkdogs.com. Kind of wonder what their traffic is because it's, it's, because I know what my traffic is at CSS Tracks. We get some pretty good, um, you know, search engine results traffic on Mm -hmm. CSS Tracks. And I extract every dollar I possibly can from that traffic. Uh, you know, that's, that's the business I'm in. Mm -hmm. So I know not everybody loves that. Too bad. At least I'm an example right now for, what that can be. And I know how much money I make on CSS tricks, which is all right. It could definitely, if, if I didn't pay anybody, <laughs> I could, ha- it could be my full-time job, maybe almost, you know, that's one person. So, but I know that the way, you know, search traffic works is that it's really exponential as you get higher up. If you're always the first result, you're, you have 10x, 20x more, at least traffic than the third result for yeah. sure. Yeah. So MDN's always higher than me, so it's a lot more traffic. Is the cash potential there from advertising, which probably would be rejected by the community anyway, to have sponsorship on there? But still, eh, it's it's still like not amazing. Like I don't know that you, that there's a, a like a a non corporate sponsored way to do MDN with just like just regular old ads on the site. I think you, you right. could hire a couple people maybe, but is that enough to keep it going? Like, yeah, the business model of MDN is not easy to solve. Right. It's not, it's, it's maybe buy a boat money. It's not whatever, buy a building and fill it full of people money. It's not. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, and, and you and need then skilled people. You need people who know how to read a spec and like, it's not... <laughs> you know, and can translate that to English. Like that's, it's tough. I know it's, it's hard. So. All right. Well, that's the Mozilla talk. We don't know anything that you don't know. We read all the same blog posts for the most part. Heard from a couple of Mozilla employees though, but just, uh, but nothing, nothing juicy that I would even be willing to, to paraphrase really, but just some generally some confusion and a little anger, I'd say. Shop Talk listeners, this show is brought to you in part by CodePen. That's me, your host, Chris, co-founder of CodePen also. Sometimes I like to sponsor our own show and tell you about CodePen. It's a freemium app, so you can use CodePen for free, but I hope to compel you with the features of CodePen Pro. One reason you might upgrade is just because you like this show. That's fine with me. I'll take your support that way. But ideally, there's some part of Pro that makes you want to upgrade. You know, one of the like little things you get with Pro is that you get unlimited embed themes. So you might like build something on CodePen in which to then use somewhere else, like use in a blog post or documentation or whatever. It's nice because you change your theme and then it changes on every single embed where you use that theme. Of course, that's very important to me, unlike CSS Tricks, for example, where I might want to change the look of the embed because we're redesigning the site or just want to freshen things up or something and have that theme change over the entire site. So, of course, I do that. If you need several, a bunch of themes, just go pro and you have unlimited of them, which is cool. Just one of a dozen or more features you get for upgrading to pro on CodePen. All right, so let's do a special segment here on the Shop Talk Show. This is um, from the book JavaScript for Web Designers by Matt Marquis, friend of the show. What up, Matt? 
uh, as a wonderful writer, I think the world needs more words written by Matt. He just has such a, a funny style of of saying things. Now, most of the people listening to the show probably know what JavaScript is. This, um, but we're gonna retell you anyway, or let Matt retell it to you from his book. So he's gonna just really talk about the just the basics of JavaScript. But he's so good at explaining stuff that I think everyone um, will appreciate this little clip. So let's listen to Matt. What even is JavaScript? The name itself could be a little confusing. Seeing Java in there might conjure up images of ancient browser applets or server-side programming languages. When JavaScript first came about back in 1995, it was originally named LiveScript, a nod to the fact that it runs as soon as the browser requests and parses it. But Java was the new hotness back in 1995, and the two languages shared a few syntactical similarities. So for the sake of marketing, LiveScript became JavaScript. JavaScript is a lightweight but incredibly powerful scripting language. Unlike many other programming languages, JavaScript doesn't need to be translated from human-readable code into a form that the browser can understand. There's no compiler step. Our scripts are sent across the wire at more or less the same time as our other assets, markup, images, and style sheets, and then interpreted on the fly. While we most frequently encounter it through our browsers, JavaScript has snuck into everything from native applications to ebooks. It's one of the most popular programming languages in the world, largely because you can find it in so many different environments. JavaScript doesn't have any strict requirements for where it runs, as long as there's an interpreter to make sense of it. And open source browsers mean open source JavaScript interpreters, the part of the browser that parses and executes JavaScript. When developers drop these interpreters into new contexts, we end up with JavaScript-powered web servers and homemade robots. We'll be looking at JavaScript as we encounter it in the browser, but there's good news if you find yourself feeling particularly mad scientisty by the time we're finished. The syntax you're learning here is the same syntax you might one day end up using in your JavaScript-powered freeze ray. The interactive layer. JavaScript allows us to add interaction to our pages as a complement to the structural layer that is markup and the presentational layer that is CSS. It gives us a tremendous amount of control over a user's interactions with the page. And that control even extends beyond the page itself and allows us to alter the browser's built-in behaviors. You've likely encountered a simple example of JavaScript-altered browser behavior more times than you can count. Form input validation. Before a form can be submitted, a validation script loops through all associated inputs, checks their values against a set of rules, and either allows the form submission to go through or prevents it. With JavaScript, we're able to build richer experiences for users, like pages that respond to their interactions without needing to direct them to a new page, even when requesting new data from the server. It also allows us to fill in gaps where a browser's built-in functionality might fall short, work around major bugs, or port brand new features back to older browsers that lack native support for them. In short, JavaScript allows us to create more advanced interfaces than HTML and CSS could do alone. What JavaScript isn't anymore. Though it gives us a lot of power over browser behavior, it isn't hard to imagine how JavaScript might get a bad reputation. To render a page unusable with CSS, no pun intended, we have to be explicit about it. Setting display none on body isn't something that generally makes it into our style sheets by accident, though I wouldn't necessarily put it past me. It's even harder to make a markup mistake that would prevent the page from functioning at all. A strong tag mistakenly left open may not result in the prettiest page ever, but it isn't likely to completely prevent someone from using it. And when CSS and markup errors do cause major issues, it's apt to happen in a visible way. So if HTML or CSS do completely break the page, we're likely to see it in our testing. JavaScript differs there, though. For example, if we include a small script to validate a street address entered into a form input, the page will render just as expected. And when we punch in five address street to test it and get no errors, our form validation may seem to be going according to plan. 
But if we're not careful about the rules for our validation script, a user with an oddly formatted address could very well be prevented from submitting valid information. For us to test thoroughly, we'd need to try as many strange addresses as we could find, and we'd be bound to miss a few. Back when the web was younger, and the web development profession was brand new, we didn't have clearly defined best practices for handling JavaScript enhancements. Consistent testing was all but impossible, and browser support was incredibly spotty. This combination led to a lot of flaky, site-obliterating scripts making their way into the wild. Meanwhile, some of the internet's more unsavory types suddenly found themselves with the power to influence the behavior of users' browsers, held back only by boundaries that were inconsistent at best and non-existent at worst. This was not, as one might expect, always used for good. JavaScript caught a lot of flack in those days. It was seen as unreliable and even dangerous. A shoddily built pop-up engine lurking somewhere beneath the surface of the browser. Times have changed, though. The same kinds of web standards efforts that have brought us semantically meaningful markup and reasonable CSS support have also made JavaScript syntax more consistent from browser to browser and set reasonable constraints around the parts of a browser's behavior it can influence. At the same time, JavaScript helper frameworks like jQuery, built on a foundation of best practices and designed to normalize browser quirks and bugs, now helps developers write better, faster JavaScript. Let's get started. Over the course of this book, we'll learn the rules of the JavaScript game as it is played, spend a little quality time wading through the DOM, and pull apart some real scripts to see what makes them tick. Before that, though, before we go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the beast that is JavaScript, we have to get familiar with the tools of our new trade. I'm from a carpentry background, and if somebody had sent me up on a roof on day one, I'm not sure I would have fared too well or been around to write any of this in the first place. So in the next chapter, we'll start getting a feel for the development tools and debugging environments built into modern browsers. And we'll set up a development environment so we're ready to start writing some scripts. All right. So what'd you think of that, folks? We're thinking of doing more of that kind of thing on the show with um, you know, people reading blog posts of themselves or others um, just to... <laughs> I don't know, to have a little segment, hear a different voice on the show. Like audible RSS in a way. And I'm looking forward to it um, on many levels. I, I just, yeah, we've solicited a, a, quite a few friends here to hopefully read their their posts or their books or, or things. So hopefully we'll we'll have that, but do let us know um, if that's something you're interested in or how, how that's all working for you. Yeah, cool. Um, Craig Rosenberry writes in, you know, with all the different ways to build a site, I'm wondering if you have any good suggestions on spinning up like an information only website. It's not e-commerce, you know, it's not, there's all these different site archetypes, but this, we're talking like info only. And he's saying that like WordPress and Squarespace seem to be like a little much for that kind of thing. Any advice you could give me would be great. Um, so client work and it's, they're like brochure sites, let's call them. I know we've talked stacks. That's a little light on information, perhaps, to be making the technology call right now. But let's say, you know, take some guesses as to what these type of sites are like and what would you reach for? I've, I've done it both ways. I've done like a, you know, you can write an index.html and chuck it up to GitHub and you have a GitHub pages. Like you don't even need to use Jekyll. Like you can just do that. Index.html, chuck it up and to GitHub pages. I've done that. Yeah. It works pretty good. Um, the, the problems I guess are, you know, just normal web problems. Like somebody's going to have to buy a domain and then forward the DNS and give, you know, do all that stuff. That's not fun. Um, but I've also had a friend runs a, a trailer park, like a, a, you know, eatery here in, in Austin, in South Austin. Cool. Of the thicket. Um, but I helped Does it him. have a torchies at it? What's that? Does it have a torchies at it? No, but it does have like mm -hmm. pretty like amazing food. Their, their Instagram is like, I've moved up to North Austin and I'm like regularly like, oh man, I'm going to have to drive down to eat this chicken sandwich, aren't I? So <laughs> I'm just, it looks too good. Uh, but uh, they, you know, and so like it's, you know, 
a website for like seven, eight trailers. They have events, they have, uh, you know, um, kind of want to advertise the eateries or the facility, you know, um, they do like outdoor yoga and stuff like that. And, and, you know, so like, um, the, so I got them up and going on a Squarespace just because they were like, you know, we're going to want to manage some of it or our trucks change kind of somewhat irregularly. So, We'd like to be able to handle that. So I got them set up on Squarespace and, you know, it was okay. Um, it was all right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's again, it's like not my favorite thing. I could probably say that about a dozen things I've built stuff with. Uh, it's not my favorite thing, but it's, you know, it works and and it gives them a little agency to kind of build stuff. Occasionally they'll have to like call me in, you know, like for something more complex, but, um, you know, I, I think it tends to work. So I, I would recommend those, you know. Um, uh, what Webflow is another good one if you just wanted to do like a little one pager in Webflow, mm. something like that. Yeah, like, they have. I was surprised I, I hadn't looked at this particular feature until I did a screencast with them a couple months back. They have a CMS that's built into Webflow too, and it. But what it? But they have this like it's like a two faced <laughs> CMS. Like one of it is you know, for you to set up the fields and all that, you know, and then, you know, you're using the Webflow itself and you're editing. But then they have this, like, a face for the CMS that's for clients. It's like you yeah. get this bar along the bottom and you can open up and change stuff and stuff. So it's kind of like it was designed with clients in mind. That was my first question with these brochure sites. Is it, is it just one and done, get it done, put it up, move on, never touch it again, or only with minor updates? Or is it the kind of thing where you're trying to hand off editability to the client? Now, that's always been a thing forever and ever and ever and ever. Does this site need to be client editable or not? And if it does, it totally steers the direction of what technologies you're going to use. You can't just do an, an index HTML file only because it's you know clients aren't just going to edit HTML. It's like it's, that's a still a specialty skill set, and that's fine. It's much easier to use some kind of UI to do it. There's still a million billion choices, and even as technology evolves, like with with Jamstack and stuff, the the that's still a thing because it's a website and because clients need to edit it. Everybody wants to be that source. And that source can be all kinds of different stuff from headless CMSs to, you know, like Jamstack purpose-built CMSs that are, you know, you know, UIs for essentially editing the static files that power that site. But then it's like, you could have just picked Squarespace too, or you could have picked WordPress too. Um, even though it's a bit much, maybe, feeling, at least it solved that problem, which is a honker of a problem. So, like, maybe that's good. You know, yeah. Like yeah. I would almost err that way from the beginning. As much as I, it appeals to me to make just an index.html file, I would only do that under pretty extreme circumstances where I knew it would never need to really be edited in a significant yeah. way. You know? Yeah, all that updating falls on me, and that's not that's the last best least best thing. Um, you know, I, I would. Yeah, I, I, you know, WordPress. If WordPress is too much like setting up a whole install like wordpress.com might be the solution too you know just like just get there and what i always tell people i mean for like these small kind of one-offs or or kind of very tiny sites like build something in the cheapest way possible get something up and then iterate from there you know wordpress or squarespace is what 17 bucks a month or something i mean like you can build it, and then if you hate it, then start planning what you're going to do after that. But you know, at least you have a website up, and customers can get information. So that's what I would say. I mean, but if you're a technology yeah. company and you have tools for like this stuff, you know, to like build out little pages or microsites or event sites or something for a client, like you know, that's that's another. You know, you may want to like a Levity and. Nellify CMS or something like that. That's another good option, but but only if you have like dedicated. Yeah, Stackbit also has a bunch of fancy tools they're building around in the space that look interesting too. Just for the record, uh, I was going to mention just just in case Jeremy happens to listen to this particular episode, I saw on his blog post the other day that so that the Clear Left now has a podcast as well. Have you seen that? I've heard what of that. Called? They haven't invited me on, but that's uh, besides the point. It's 
just it's, fine. it's like a six episode series. I mean to read it too because it looks really, really good. But um, here I'll read from Jeremy's blog post. Design wise, it's a riff on the main clear left site in terms of typography and general layout. On the development side, it was an opportunity to try out an exciting tech stack. Mm. The workflow goes something like this: open a text editor and type out HTML and CSS. that's it that's as as done as he's right so he says comparing this to other workflows I've used in the past this is definitely the most productive way of working some stats time spent setting up build tools zero minutes and zero seconds (laughs) time spent wrangling pipeline to do exactly what you want zero minutes and zero seconds time spent trying to get the damn build tools to work again when you return to the project after leaving it alone more than a few months zero hours zero minutes and zero seconds (laughs) <laughs> which I enjoy. And you can go view source on the site. Now, <laughs> it's a podcast site um, and it has an RSS feed, for example. So I'm imagining Jeremy as old school awesome as he is, just opening up feed.xml, copying, pasting the last episode, pasting the new one at the top and hand editing all the values in that podcast field. I'm almost sure that's what he does, you know, because mm-hmm. there's no build tool at all. So God bless you. That's great. I, I I struggle with that. Like I I I I like the automation. There's no way that I could let my fingers do that. I would I would eleven D that up thing in a second. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, but <laughs> but you know, I, I I appreciate it, and it's 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 relevant to this question for sure. So. Good luck, Chris. You know, there are lots of ways to go. None of them are particularly wrong, I'd say. Yep. Magnus writes in, I've been messing around with Gutenberg this week, and I'm actually enjoying it. Huh? I know it had a rough start with some developers, but it seems to have matured. Have y'all used it much? Pros, cons, experiences? I, I have not really used Gutenberg, so I am out. But I do... Think it's well. I, I you'd think it'd give you an opportunity on Chop Talk Show, but that's like the one site I'm not using it on for us because we use all advanced custom fields for the most part, and it doesn't. Not that advanced custom fields has a bunch of really actually wonderfully powerful stuff. They do. You probably heard in the spots on this show in the past of um, things. Uh, you'll hear more. But it's it, our data is very structured, very granular, like. Yeah, we don't have a field that's like put all, put a bunch of blocks in this area, and that's what Gutenberg excels at. So yeah. I don't even have it turned on there. But yeah, the block thing for me has been going super super well. I'd say I'm a big fan of Gutenberg just just from a an author day to day authoring of blog posts experience, which is very important to me. Like, what does it feel like to be an, an author and editor on a site? Really like it. I really like it. It's very different than that. I've written in the past, if you're going to blog, blog in Markdown. I like that concept too, because your Markdown is just going to last forever. It's going to be able to, it's going to swap between technologies really easily. It's encouraging you not to put, you know, div class equals, you know, Dave left face header red on it or something. Cause it's like Markdown, it'll work, but it's like, yeah, no classes in Markdown. Uh, and Gutenberg's kind of the opposite in that it's like, get fancy in there. Make that background green. Get weird, brother. But it's doing it. It has the same spirit, believe it or not, because you're not writing those classes. They're abstracted by the parent technology involved here in a, in a way that's like, you're not going to, I don't know, it feels like you're buying into strongly. Like you're not, I'm not going to just turn off Gutenberg necessarily. And even if I did, there'd be stories to, that would kind of make that okay. I don't know. I feel like that wasn't a very coherent thought, but like I don't worry about the content that I'm authoring in Gutenberg. Yeah. Well, you know, I I the thing I always think about in client services, you know, or something, you know, somebody's like, oh, our, our about page, right? A little blurb. We're gonna show the seat, the you know, top five people that work here, you know, uh, and then we'll yeah. do some testimonials. And it's like, okay. I, I know how to do that. I'm going to write the advanced custom fields, blurb dot field, uh, you know, person one dot field. That's a repeater. Exactly. Yep. And then testimonials. That's a repeater maximum of three, like done. I, I did it. Here's your website. And then, and I program the template to render the fields in the correct way. And then what happens? They come back and they say, Oh, we need a video 
uh, in between two of the testimonials or whatever. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, sure. Fridge, man, this is not easy. Or or like now it's a mess. And I knew it was going to be a mess. And now I know it's a mess and fridge. And as I understand Gutenberg, it's just like, here's your content. You just chuck blocks in there, like staple the blocks together, however you think it should work. And we'll just do the rest. And it does it. And that seems yeah, great exactly. for these like custom kind of more than just a blog post layouts. It seems really helpful for that, you know, where, where like, mm-hmm. you know, you can do that in Squarespace or Wix or whatever, the full designer, you know, Weebly, Webflow, all these like full designer tools, uh, like whatever in browser designer. But like, I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a step forward from like programming content the way you want it, you know? Yeah, the, I think you sold it really well, especially for somebody who doesn't even use it. Dave, good work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it just it like that's intuitive, you know. So well, and they're trying to get to a site builder level too, which is very interesting. Building the whole site that way, but you're kind of saying like for anything that's more than just a blog post, do that. I think that's very true. It's very good at managing landing pages. But then once you start using it, you're like, well, why not blog post too? It's all the same Gutenberg editor. I think it opens up possibilities for your blog post too. Like, I'm going to get fancy in here too, man. Why not? Because you're kind of like, oh, and then I was listening to a podcast by blah, blah, blah. Oh, let me just pull in the podcast block so you can listen to it too. Oh, that's convenient. You know, oh, a testimonials block. Those are just built in. Oh, where do I want the header? Do I want the, the, the avatar for the testimony on the left or the right? Oh, that's just an option. I can just pick one from a dropdown and it'll scoosh its way over there. And it looks like it's going to look on the front end of the site for the most part. It has a nice visual styles inside Gutenberg. But if you want, you can queue up your same CSS from the outside inside. That way it looks exactly like the front end of the site does. So it's it's WYSIWYG wow, for so real. Like my cool Saved by the Bell block quote that I made, that's just going to look like a Saved by the Bell block quote. It's not going to Yeah, look. I blog for most of my life, basic, not in Markdown, because I never did that on CSS Tricks. I do on most other sites, but and it, 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 it was just HTML, but like weird WordPress HTML, like HTML without the P tags, because WordPress always had this weird auto P function, which is... Uh, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I, you know, it was nice almost. Was, at least it was one nicety that I could avoid writing some HTML in there. But I was so used to like, oh, a video goes in this post. You know how I do that? Left angle bracket, video, source, equals, drop in URL, quote, controls, and video tag, you know? And I was like, okay, I can read this, but I can see what's happening here on the front end. There'll be a video. But it doesn't, like when I'm editing the post, I just have to imagine that. You know, whereas now in this Gutenberg land, I can see the post as it's going to look and gives me a more appropriate, like, what is this post going to feel like, you know, with this big video block here. And if I put in a code pen embed, it's there. If I embed a tweet, it's there. If I, you know, make something look like a block code, it looks like a block quote. I think that is just nice. And it's just not to be like, I don't care about that. Like, it seemed like it's easy to be like, well, I don't what Chris is describing, I don't need that. I don't care about that. I didn't think I did either. And now that I use it day to day, I just enjoy the authoring experience more. I think it's making me uh, making blogging easier for me. No, I would agree. I, I mean, I think if again, if you that's where you spend your time, and kind of back to the first question, like you know, what where are people going to be spending time on this? Like if people are spending time on it, make it a comfortable thing. I mean, the same reason you install a theme on your code editor is because you're just like, I want this to feel better, you know? So I think it has value. So. Well, um, that was just a, that was just a quick one there, but yeah, we could, uh, I would like to talk. Up. I mean, uh, we should wrap yeah. it up because we're out of time, but the, like, I, I'm curious about the uh, authoring of like plugins with React inside Gutenberg or WordPress. I'm curious how that goes. So maybe we can touch on that in the next show. Or yeah, real quick, I, I used one from a third party guy. It was yeah. um, Ashmod, I think. Anyway, it was it was like a Create React app, but it was called Create Gutenblock, I think. It wasn't, it was, I think, I thought they did a tremendously good job of doing that, but it, I think, became a little out of date and probably not a top priority for said person. 
uh, WordPress has has not taken that over, but made their own. So I think if I was going to do it again, you'd use their block scaffolding pattern. And it comes with all the niceties involved. Like it has a little Webpack builder and you just type npm run start or whatever, and it starts watching your little folder and you can, uh, and it's hot reloading and yada, yada. It's got all the the niceties of of React development in there, but it's it's a weird type of React development. It really is just JSX, and you can use state and use ref and all whatever crap you want to in there. Um, but there's this other aspect to blocks that, to me, got complicated. Like there, there's a thing called block transforms, which may not matter to you with a new site or anybody else, but it mattered a lot to me because when you would turn on Gutenberg on a site all your old content doesn't just become blocks. It's still in the old format. Uh, and so when it loads up, the whole thing just, it, there's a, a, a line around the whole thing that says classic content or classic editor or something. And you can convert it to blocks if it's a one, it's a one-way trip ski there. You click the little <laughs> hamburger menu and you open it up and say, convert to blocks. And I think it does a phenomenal job. Like it's amazing that it works as well as it does. It looks at, Content, which is just this arbitrary string of HTML, blah, you know, or Markdown yeah. or something, and it figures out what it should be in a block and and does it. But for for me, I do enough weird crap over the years in these tricks that it's, it's not the cleanest journey. At least it wasn't by default. So I had to write some of these transforms myself. Like if you you know, as the parser is going through the text, if it sees a tag that happens to look like this tag then I want you to transform it to this type of block and put this type of content in here and this type of setting should be set to this value. And yeah. it was, that stuff was complicated to me and I still don't have it perfectly right. So, and that's not even particularly well documented. I know this just for me, but I think if you have a big legacy site and you're thinking of going Gutenberg, it's still going to be, that, that's be where the effort point. really is. Involved. So that's maybe a con or like some experience. So, okay, we fair and balanced reporting here. So we do it. <laughs> all right, me uh, doesn't use it at all. Yeah, use it. It's great. <laughs> you used it. It's kind of, <laughs> you can kind of mess up your site. Anyway. <laughs> but you know, it's worth mentioning, and they've sponsored before, but this show isn't sponsored, that Advanced Custom Fields has a way of developing blocks that's far more intuitive to just normal classic WordPress developers. You can just make a block as a PHP file, put it in your theme, Say advanced custom fields. That PHP file is a block essentially, right. and and use it that way. And so you're not writing any React code at all. It's not weird. It's just it's just a PHP file, and the custom fields get splot get splashed in there wherever you want them to be, which is awesome. And they have that that feature inner blocks, which is cool too. It's like splat these custom fields in there, but also if you want arbitrary blocks inside of it, like native blocks, you can do that too. Which is that is. <laughs> something wow. else that's, no, that's mind-blowing cool. stuff yeah. all right well cool well let's wrap it up thank you dear listener for downloading this new podcast church be sure to start our favorite episode people find out about the show follows on twitter at shop talks over for tens of tweets a month every job ever shock for show.com slash jobs and get brand new one so people want to hire people like you hey chris do you have anything else you'd like to say yep and show block shop talk show.com